it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 87. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer a few listener questions. We got a couple great ones, and we thought they would be really interesting to talk about, and they're kind of relevant to what's going on in the market as of today. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question, and then Andrew and I will talk a little bit about it, and then Andrew will read the second question, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So let me go ahead and start. So the first question, hello, Andrew and Dave. Thank you for doing the podcast and helping beginners learn the basic principles of investing and value investing. You guys have fueled my interest to learn more and have given me more confidence when it comes to investing. I have a question for you too. I know Andrew has mentioned a past experience with FL hitting his trailing stop and he was forced to sell. He said that he underestimated how far FL would bottom out. I have experienced this with a few stocks that have been affected by the current trade war slash tariffs with China. So my question for you two is whether you have any strategy for buying stocks that you feel are on a temporary downtrend. How long do you wait before you buy and how can you make the call when you think the stocks won't get any lower? Thanks, Josh. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and answer that first and then I'll throw in my two cents. Yeah, sounds good. So stocks that are on a temporary downtrend, I guess you can look at it two different ways. You can take the classic value investing approach and say that I'm going to buy this stock. I love the price that it's trading at. I love the margin of safety I'm getting. I'm okay with it continuing to decline from here on. So I'm going to ignore any trends. I'm going to just buy the stock. And if it continues to fall, I'm going to just be okay with it because I'm confident my margin of safety. And I know uh, with enough time, you know, things will play out, right? And 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 hopefully that value will be realized and I'll be able to sell at a profit when valuations kind of revert to the mean. That's one way. So I, I guess m- maybe I mentioned two, I, I thought of a third way. The second way you can also take, it's a kind of a classic value approach. I think Buffett does this, but this might be because he has so much money and so he can't just pile a bunch of money in all at once. But um, what some big investors will do is they will 
look at a stock that's in a downtrend, they'll buy some, they'll watch it fall some more, then they'll pick up a little bit more. And if it falls a little bit more, then they'll pick up uh, even more. And so they're kind of, what's the term, Dave? Uh, something to do like you're averaging down or something to do with the cost. You're, you're essentially getting like a lower cost basis on, on the stock you buy. Anyway, that's kind of the idea. So, you know, in a, in a sense, you have this win-win mindset. If the stock goes up, the stock goes up. Cool. Obviously, everybody gets happy about that. If the stock goes down, cool. Now the stock that I already liked is even a better deal and I can add more and, and average down. I think that's the word I was looking for, average down. So you can just continue to add. And the lower it goes, the more shares you can pick up in relation to where it used to be. The third method I've heard of is a lot of different investors will try to take the best of both worlds and, and they'll try to take trend, like a trend following approach, kind of um, a little bit of a technical analysis type deal and blend it with a value philosophy. And so they will take stocks that are hated, wait for those trend, the downtrend to reverse and then buy the stock when it's hated and in an uptrend. So that's been um, slightly popular as well. And the rationale behind it is that, I guess, depending on who you talk to, you can make money by following the trend, uh, maybe in the short term especially. And so by waiting for it to hit a kind of this uptrend, then you're maybe letting all the damage be done and then trying to get in on the recovery which could or, or could not work. So those are, I guess, the three main ways you could look at it, unless, Dave, maybe you can think of a fourth. So I've introduced those. Which one do you kind of go for, or is it something that you take on a case-by-case basis? I kind of take it by on a case-by-case basis, but when I do take it on a case-by-case basis, I generally will do the averaging down. That seems to be something that works best for me. If I find a company that has passed all the tests, so to speak, and I think is a great company and is being punished by the market for reasons that I don't really understand, then I'm going to invest in it. And when I see it going down, I kind of look at it like you're going to buy shoes that are on sale. And hey, you know, I really need these. And I'm going to go buy them, but I found them for 20 bucks cheaper at this store. So I'm going to go to that store and buy them. And kind of the same philosophy applies when I'm trying to buy a stock. And so if I've done all my research and I think that this is a great company, then if it's taking a downturn, either because the general market is taking a downturn, like has been happening recently, or if there is some other news that may be a temporary downturn for the company, then I look at that as an opportunity to continue to try to get it at a discount. You know, if I've already built in a margin of safety and there, the market is offering me more, then I'm going to try to take advantage of that. Now, the trick with that, of course, is to make sure you're not, you know, going after the falling knife, so to speak, and you're not getting into a situation where the company is actually just kind of doing poorly and you're making a, a misjudgment. Now, how do you avoid that? Well, there isn't any perfect way to do that. 
some of it comes down to experience. Some of it comes down to just doing your due diligence and making sure you've done your homework and, you know, having a belief in your system and that believing that the system that you've been following will continue to work for you. Something else that I will look at from time to time too is who else is buying this company. If I see Joel Greenblatt, you know, loading in on this company or Seth Klarman loading in on this company while I am trying to do the same thing with, of course, my much more meager uh, earnings than these guys are doing, uh, then that would help me give me a lot more confidence that, hey, maybe I'm onto something here. Those kinds of things are all certainly things that I look at when I'm when I'm trying to do that. I hope that helps answer that question. I love that you brought up the falling knife thing. Uh, the the article you sent me today. So Dave sent me this article, and it was it was an article that Seth Klarman wrote in Barrons back in 1999, and he was writing about Warren Buffett. Really, really cool to see like one of our legends writing about another legend. So he, one of the things that he, I don't know if Buffett was interviewed in it or if he was just talking about Buffett's strategy, but one of the things that he said Buffett tries to do is he tries to figure out why this stock is undervalued. Like there's all, all how there's always almost always going to be a reason why a stock is undervalued. And so if you can kind of differentiate between there's a big difference between kind of irrational feel and rational rational fear. So to give an example, I think the the trade war and the tariffs are are a fantastic example. You have Wall Street is very, very short-term focus. All they care about is what's this company going to do next quarter? What's it going to do next year? Obviously, the trade war and all these tariffs does affect what's going to happen in the short term. And so the stocks, like a lot of retail, a lot of um, these manufacturers of consumer goods, those type of companies, these stocks have been beaten up lately with fears of the trade war. And so in the short term, yes, you know, that's going to hurt profitability, especially if, if China, you know, if this, if this continues to escalate, however, over the long term, the likelihood of business completely shutting down, like this idea that this global economy that we've had will suddenly cease to exist and everybody's kind of going to insulate themselves and, and not want to do business with each other. I think that's a bit far-fetched. And so you can take fears like that. Or another one that pops to mind is when BP had its big oil spill in 2010, that stock just got crushed. Uh, you know, there was a lot of lashback about all the oil destroying a lot of the things in the ocean and the reefs and all, and all these sorts of things. And, and that is very relevant. However, from a business perspective, yes, in the short term, it was going to hurt their profits. But over the long term, is this really going to be something like how many times can you put a company through litigation, right? Over the long, eventually they'll, they'll pay for it and then they're going to continue doing business as normal. So, but that was a stock that got hammered a lot. You can contrast all of those things with maybe a company that is being beat up because it has a lot of debt. That's that's an obvious one where, okay, we actually have a, a, a business that is in trouble. 
Another obvious example would be revenues and earnings that are declining and, and you know, getting worse every year. That's a symptom of either lower demand, uh, competitors kind of coming up and stealing market share. Those are all big kind of major problems, and they're all very basic and simple. You think about when these companies and these stocks go really volatile and, and they go up and down. I like to look at, from a qualitative side, I like to look at Seeking Alpha. I like to read about, you know, what what are some of the new, what's some of the news that's coming out that that's kind of contributing to the stock maybe maybe getting beat up. Things like I mentioned before, maybe things like the one I love to see the most because I feel like this is the most overblown and it's so ridiculous. But whenever you have industry projections where they say you know, oh, well, this industry is, it used to be projected to grow at 7% a year, but next year or the next five years, it's only going to grow at 5% a year. So like a, they, they did this for the memory sector uh, recently, where basically uh, one of the semiconductor stocks companies, they released their projections their eps projections for the following quarter the following year and so because of this one company's projections the whole industry now reacts and the whole industry uh gets beat up because now they feel that some segment of the industry is not going to do as well in the future as originally thought so it's just such a ridiculous idea that stock prices are going to drop so drastically over projections and what how people think that that an industry is going to grow in the future it's not an, anything that's really tangible and so i think the while like dave said there's no perfect way and there's no black and white answer on how can we differentiate between a stock that's beaten up and you know for good reason versus one that's just kind of over over irrationally feared there's no perfect answer but i think you can use a lot of common sense and when 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 things either are so short term or maybe more projection based i think those are great signs that hey this might actually be a really great undervalued company that's really beaten up and something that i can probably take advantage of and feel even better about with the margin of safety what's nice about the margin of safety obviously is the bigger it is, you know, the more that you can kind of make that qualitative decision that you can, you can do it and, and be completely wrong. The, the bigger that your margin of safety is, the less of an impact that will have on, on the downside for your risk on losing money on the stock. So, you know, the cheaper you go, kind of the, the uh, better your chances of the more room for error that you have, uh, even if you're wrong about, hey, maybe some of these fears were actually rational fears and and for good reason. But, you know, the stock really can't go that much lower because you bought it at such a cheap price. So that can be an, a nice kind of side effect to, to buying in that way. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. 
Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms. No more awkward conversations. Just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan.
I guess the second part of that question, how long do you wait before you buy and how can you make the call that you think the stock won't go any lower? The answer to that is you can't make the call. And that's something that you're just going to have to deal with that's part of buying stocks is you don't know if the stock, if any stock will go any lower or any higher than how you feel. I obviously, any stock I buy, I feel like it's going to go up eventually. Otherwise, I wouldn't buy it. So as far as like how long do you wait? I I personally, I dollar cost average. I'm buying every month. I have wait, I have watch lists, right? So I have lists of stocks that maybe might be a little bit too expensive. I'm waiting for them to come down. I'm monitoring those. If they come to a point where I want to buy it, then I'll pull the trigger. But, you know, I'm always weighing my options and and I'm looking. I have a spreadsheet where I track all the VTIs for all of these different stocks, the stocks that I own, the stocks that I'm watching. And so every month, you know, you want to look at your options. What do you have now? What's available out there? You know, what does your portfolio look like? Because my portfolio being kind of fully invested, fully diversified, I have 20 stocks in there. Uh, my decision making is going to be different from somebody who's maybe building from scratch and only has two stocks in their portfolio. You know, at that point, maybe they need to prioritize just getting different stocks in different industries and, and trying to be more diversified. But you know, in a situation like mine, I, I can just look and and I just got to weigh my options and you got to look at the prices as they change every month and you, you try to figure out and learn more about these companies as you go along. You kind of look and see how their balance sheets are moving, how their income statements are moving. And so you just take it and, and it doesn't have to be this huge thing, but you know, once a month or how whatever your dollar cost averaging timeline is, just take it and try to look and make a decision and go with it. And if it goes lower, I've had you know, I've had stocks that went lower, but you know, I see those dividends being reinvested and if a stock goes lower that's just a bigger dividend reinvestment that I can make. And I just continue to hold and and hope that, you know, the stock and the company behind it doesn't actually show real red flags and warning signs. So I think there's a lot of power between understanding <clears throat> what makes a stock dangerous, what makes a company dangerous. And we've covered that in the past with um, the, the, str- the three strikes you're out theory. I think that was a really good one on, on, figuring out when a company is really in, in trouble. So just doing that, you know, you're not going to know there's no perfect timeline for for how long you should wait before you buy. There's no perfect strategy that's going to guarantee that your stocks won't go lower. And as far as, you know, on a temporary downtrend, temporary uptrend, I'm going to buy if I like the stock. That's that's the bottom line. You can kind of try to overanalyze as much as you can, but if you just stick to it in that simple way, try to find stocks that are, you know, have great growth prospects. Try to find stocks that have a great margin of safety. Try to find stocks that are paying you a good dividend, and and hopefully that dividend's growing over time. Those are all things you want to look for. Those are big picture things. I think temporary downtrends and uptrends is so short term, and at, at at the end of the day. As long as your dollar costs averaging, you're diversified. It's not going to make a whole lot of difference. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So this one's from Zach. 
He says, hello, Andrew. I hope this email finds you doing well. I'm a newer investor and I've read both of your books and have started listening to your Investing for Beginners podcast from the beginning. I had a question. I used Finviz um, <clears throat> to screen stocks. I got a list of 11 stocks from that list. Only three scored well in the strong buy for VTI for 2017. Those three companies were Macy's Manpower Group and Valero Energy. Uh, disclaimer, this was an email from a while ago, so I don't know if those stocks are still in that range. Anyway, uh, what my question is, what is the next step you use in your process to decide if any of these stocks should be bought or if all should be bought? Thank you and love your knowledge, Zach. What's your, so I guess, you know, I think you use Finviz as well, Dave, and then obviously we're narrowing down. So Let's break it down. You got Finviz, you got your list of stocks. Maybe you've narrowed them down to two or three. What's your process from there? What's my process from there? Um, well, I probably just take the three names, put them on a wall, and then throw darts. Of course, I, I blindfold myself, and I throw darts, and then whichever I'm closest to, that's the one I pick. Yeah, no, I don't Love do it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so what do I do? What I do is that is the kind of the beginning process of the fun. I have a checklist that I go through. So when I do use Finviz and I use it every week, I use it every Monday. It's part of my routine that I've had for a long, long time. Uh, I wish I could get in the same routine lifting weights, but hey, that's a whole other conversation. But so I use Finviz every week and it helps me try to find different ideas that I can invest in. So once I find that and then I will run them through the VTI, which is a great way to help me narrow everything down. And once I'm done with that, then I start looking at my at my checklist and making sure that all these you know boxes are marked off that you know the company has you know strong earnings for a long period of time strong free cash yeah free cash flow for a long period of time you know that the revenue is growing that the margins are growing that you know all the ratios have looked good for a long period of time i will go back and look at the how it did during the recession uh, that's an important thing for me to understand, especially as we go through a kind of an iffy time here in the stock market over the last six months or so. You know, there's conversation about us possibly going slipping into a, a bull market and a bear market. I'm sorry. And so when I do those things, I'll look and see how did the company do during that downturn in 07 and 09. And that will give me an indication of how it could do in the future if there's a downturn in the market. So those are just some of the things that I'll look at. Then once I'm done with that, then I will go back and reread through the 10K and make sure that the thesis or the idea that I had behind why do I want to invest in this company, not just, you know, hey, it looks pretty on the spreadsheet and it's got all these great things, but what do I really know about the company? What do they sell? What kind of stuff do they do? Are there any comp competitors that are coming up that could crush them in the next couple of years? Because really, I'm always trying to find a company that I'm going to buy and sit on for a long time. I'm not, I'm not really looking for something that I'm going to have to churn through every six months to a year. That's not my modus operandi when I invest. So those are some of the things that I will do to kind of start the process. Now, let's say that I get it down to two or three companies. Uh, sometimes it will be, I will just look at 
the two or three companies and I'll look and see why is the company in a position that it's in. So for example, I'll look at Macy's here that he's talking about. Well, Macy's is in the retail world. And as we've talked about before, there's really kind of two players in the, in the, in the retail world right now. And then everybody else, uh, Amazon is probably obviously the king, but Walmart is probably real close to being the second. And then everybody else is just on the struggle bus. Uh, Target's been up and down and, you know, Kmart has gone out of business. Sears is on its way out, declared bankruptcy recently. Macy's has been on a big, big struggle bus. They've closed lots and lots of stores. Actually, the last three places I've lived uh, and have had Macy's that have closed. And so they're on the big struggle bus. And now one of the things that has kind of kept them afloat is they have a lot of real estate. So they own the land that their stores are on, which has been a huge benefit for them. But I don't know if that's going to keep them around long enough or keeping them profitable long enough to make a comeback or to be strong enough. So for me, if I was looking at those three groups of companies, knowing what I know about Macy's, I would just cross that off right away. Because for me, that would be a kind of like, I don't really want to get into the retail world. So then I look at the other two companies. I don't know really that much about energy. So that would scare me a little bit. That would have to be something that I would have to do a lot more research on to become a lot more familiar with that company because that falls outside of my circle of competence. And that's another thing that I really have to pull into this is even though you're looking at these companies and these are three companies that are interesting to you, what do you really know about them? What kind of expertise can you bring to where these companies are going? Now, Manpower Group is, I believe, a company that what they do is they help people find work. And so I'm more familiar with that kind of thing because I work on a business where I have to hire people. And so I have some sort of experience with that and I would feel more comfortable digging into how that company operates, what they do and so on. And so that would be something that I would narrow down that would help me narrow down these companies as I'm looking at them is, you know, looking at my checklist, making sure all these numbers are matching up, looking at all the metrics and seeing that they're operating and performing well. Of course, the VTI is going to help me a lot with that. But then I will also go back and look at the period, time period that there may have been a downturn in the market and how did that particular company do during that period. And then I'll also look and make sure that this falls within my circle of competence, that I understand the company and what it is they do. You know, in this day and age of technology, there are certainly going to be companies that I'm going to come across in the technology world. I just won't understand. I just, I don't get what they do. I don't really understand it. And it's going to be too much of a learning curve for me to figure that out. And so then I would just put it on the too hard pile and move on to the next thing. So I guess those are kind of the three main ways that I would look at how I would figure out which company I would narrow it down to buy. Yeah, I love all of those, actually. So I guess we can end it there, right? We're good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Give <laughs> me like Psych. I want to open my mouth and start talking. Psych. I was a little bit confused. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> so I, I think first off, like, you can't really go wrong by buying stocks that are cheap. So you you build a portfolio of enough cheap stocks with good margins of safety. Um, chances are you're going to do well for yourself. I think having this 
process where you're, you're you're really trying to decide between two or three stocks can maybe be that difference maker that take you to the next level. And so obviously that's something we're going to try to do. The idea of looking at how a company does during a recession, uh, that's something I love looking at. I, I don't care so much if, if, uh, if the earnings kind of go up or down. That's You have to understand that just like the economy is cyclical, a lot of these industries will be cyclical. So what cyclical means is uh, it goes up, there's recession, there's contraction. So you'll have like kind of the general stocks that are all commonly known as cyclical. You know, when the economy is doing well, those stocks do well when the economy is doing poor, vice versa. Uh, some, you know, some stocks actually do better during a recession. Uh, and you just want, you, you want to get context on how does a company do when it faces adversity in its industry? How does it do when, when times are good? Uh, so one of the things, like I said, I don't really care so much if earnings are going up, up and down, but I don't like to see negative earnings uh, at any point, especially during a recession or I guess at all. So if, if I'm looking at a track record, so I'm looking at Manpower Group right now and I see negative earnings 2009 and 2010. Uh, does that mean it's a bad investment now? Maybe not, but you know that's that's something where I I kind of look at them like, eh, I don't like that part about it. The thing about picking any stock, you're never going to find a stock that kind of checks all your boxes. You're never going to find the perfect stock, uh, but you'll get you'll find stocks that kind of get close to your criteria. And so sometimes you just gotta roll with it and you got to figure out what are the parts that you don't like about the stock and are you okay with those? And so that's why you need to have your priorities straight and uh, really have context on, on what numbers and what characteristics of these businesses are most important to you. Some other things that I'll look at, which we haven't gotten into too much. <laughs> we have a another nerdy episode that we're planning to talk about, but I like to get into the nitty gritty of the, the balance sheet even more so than we have been. So like uh, looking at manpower group, they have a lot of accounts receivable, which is basically as good as cash. It's just uh, money that they are owed and, and they haven't gotten it yet. So when you combine their accounts receivable and their cash, it's really high. Um, and it's much higher than their short-term debt and their long-term debt. So I like to see that. I like to see that a lot. Things like goodwill. I, so something that I've been focusing more on lately. And here's I mean, here's the thing with with kind of picking these stocks. You're you're not going to have something that's so ironclad uh, where you're going to do the exact same thing every single time you're trying to make these decisions. I think. As time goes on and, and you're investing and, and you're you're gaining experience, you're gaining these skills, you're gaining a feel for stocks and these businesses and, and the market as a whole. And as your investment goals change, I think these are all all these factors will really weigh into making a decision like this. And so you have to understand that the things that you find attractive now are going to evolve over time. And so like as an example, recently I've been really big into finding businesses where the brand names is is, is very very important and it has uh, a very strong hold in in its industry that cannot be replaced. So, 
I don't own Apple as of right now, but I guess that would be a great example because you can't just start up a business and say, Hey, I'm going to take over Apple's brand that it's, it's, it's really one of a kind. And so, you know, I have Apple on my watch list and when it gets to a price where I am comfortable with it, that's definitely something that I'm going to prioritize as far as picking stocks. So those are the type of things I like to look for. Right now, recently, I've been looking for businesses where their brand name's not included in Goodwill. And I'm not going to get too far into the weeds uh, in this episode about that. But I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Buffett's made a lot, a lot, a lot of money just on brand name alone. I mean, I think about Coca-Cola, Gillette. Uh, I don't know. He's got He's got several other stocks where... The brand name Hershey's is another one. These brand names are they're able to really grow profits every year because they have customer loyalty and they have these brands that just people flock to and they spend money on and you can't replace them very easily. And so they they stay very profitable for a very long time. Things I also like to look for, I like to look for long-term growth. Again, you know, just because a, a company's done really well in the past doesn't guarantee that's going to do well in the future. But I would rather pick a stock that's grown earnings every year for the last 10 years rather than one whose uh, earnings chart, EPS chart, looks like a roller coaster. I would rather have the one that's like, wow, look at this explosive growth. And believe it or not, you know, it's not just the FANG stocks that have these characteristics. There's a lot of smaller stocks that institutional investors aren't even looking at that are trading at decent valuations that I, I just picked one up uh, here in January, the, the first of the month. Fantastic. Like you look at the revenue and you look at the earnings, it's just boop, 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 straight up. It's, it's great. And, and the valuations are not too, too uh, expensive and they've got great cash, no, hardly any debt. <clears throat> These are things that you can find and there are going to be times where maybe they, they won't be as cheap like this one that I picked for the e-leather in January, it was too expensive for the past like year and a half. But because of the market downturn we had last month, I was able to pick up more and I'm hoping to be able to pick up more in February as well. These are all things that you kind of kind of keep in mind. And like I said, it's going to evolve. It's going to change over time. I've put more, I've had stocks where I put more priority on earnings growth I like to look back even more than 10 years and I like to take little three-year averages and compare that. That's been helpful. I've had times where you know I maybe want to bet on a stock where the revenue growth is just out of this world and, and maybe the earnings aren't as great, but you know they're reinvesting them in there. Obviously, I'm making sure that there's enough earnings. My PE ratio is still reasonable. But you know, maybe they don't have as much earnings as, as this other stock I'm looking at, but their revenue growth is that much better. So maybe I'll go with that one. And again, it's it's gonna it's a good idea to kind of diversify between these basically qualitative factors in a way, because nothing's gonna be uh, there's trends in in the market and and on Wall Street, and certain things uh, become expensive and certain things become cheap. Back in the, what was it, 70s, 60s, whatever it was, you had the nifty 50. So this idea that basically blue chip stocks, uh, they're safe, they pay a dividend, 
they maybe don't grow as fast, but they're sta- they're stable, they're steady. They call them the nifty 50, the 50 biggest uh, kind of blue chip type stocks. Those va- the valuations on those went crazy high. Like you th- like think like the Fang stocks, like that's how high the, those these type of valuations that uh, these type of stocks saw. And so, you know, if you had a strategy where every single time you took a group of stocks and you said, I'm just going to pick the big, safe, steady stock out of this list. If you did that every single time, well, during those couple years that the Nifty 50 was really expensive, you would have had really bad returns on that because you're sacrificing uh, for valuation. So understand that certain things are going to go in and out of favor in the market, not only just on a price basis, but just kind of on a popularity basis as well, uh, a cycle basis. So I think it's a good idea to prioritize different things. Look at your portfolio, look at what you have, look at what's, you know, look at the prices on certain things. These stocks are all going to have different personalities, different characteristics, and there's going to be some good and some bad with all of them. You want to try to make a, a good, healthy basket kind of mix of of these different types of stocks, and maybe it's a little bit of trial and error. You see what's worked really well for you, uh, based on what type of valuations you are you are kind of putting heavier weight on, and that could be a different answer for me. It could be a different answer for Dave. It could be a different answer for any one of you out there. So hopefully, some of those things were kind of just scratching the surface on some of the things you can look for when you have a group of three stocks that you want to narrow down to one. Hopefully that helps you a little bit and um, gives you some ideas on on where you can go further. I think if it's something you really want to think, maybe take the next step. We had an episode we recorded about competitive advantage. Uh, that could be a good resource for you to maybe think about a stock and its competitive advantage and where, where it sits in its industry. And, and maybe that can be another thing. Or you can look at balance sheets and then kind of make balance sheets your expertise. So many different things you can do. Uh, there's no one answer. And like I said at the beginning, you're buying, you're filling a portfolio with cheap stocks with good dividends and growing dividends. That's that's really hard to lose when you're doing that. As long as you're staying diversified, your dollar cost averaging, you're doing this for the long term. Basically, you're stacking all those things in your favor. I've said this in the past. It's basically... You know, you, you you do those basic foundational kind of principles. You've got eighty percent of the results already, and the rest is kind of minutia. Maybe the difference between a couple of percentage points, which which could be uh, granted, it's it's a big difference. But uh, you're most of the way there just by finding stocks with a margin of safety. So don't beat yourself up about it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Learn. Get better and continue to buy stocks and enjoy it. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion tonight. I hope you enjoyed our answers to the questions. Thank you listeners for sending us some more great questions. Gotta love them. So you guys go out there, invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day.
The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and/or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at eInvestingForBeginners.com.